This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Repeat, this is a test of the emergency podcast system. Hello and welcome to Disaster Girls, a podcast about disaster movies. It's me, your host, Amanda Smith. And with me today, we have the fabulous return guest. Return guest, will you please introduce yourself? Yes, I am Liam O'Donnell of Action for Everyone podcast, and I was uh, the esteemed guest for your Independence Day episode, which is the highlight of my career. Let's oh, it was a, that was a fun time. It was a highlight for for the podcast too. Like what a great time that was. I know I'm actually feeling a little uh, like gun shy, like, man, I, I kind of went out on top and I, I'm, I'm really afraid I'm going to come in here and blow it on my, uh, on my repeat. I feel, you know, Waterworld, a very different movie than Independence Day for many reasons, um, both financially and thematically. And um, one's about the end of the world from aliens. One's about the end of the world from, you know, previous work of mankind. But I think like we can probably find some tonal similarities by the time we're done with this. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and and both, I think reasons why I love them so much is in that sort of that the, the actual heyday of practical effects, stunts, spectaculars, so much in camera uh, that uh, it really it, it leaves your jaw on the floor when you go back and watch this stuff now. It's incredible. I mean, to get I, I was going to ask, you know, when we can get back to it later about why, because part of why you're here is because you got me to watch Waterworld uh, because you became the foremost tweeter about the film Waterworld in late May, early June. You launched the Waterworld army. And I, I don't know. Or I don't know what we're calling ourselves yet. Like, are we, uh, I think we're are the we, atollers. We're the, the atollers. Okay. I was gonna say like, water, I really don't want to be the Waterworlders. I'll take waterworlders. No, I like atollers. I, I was going to be like, are we mutos? Like, what are we doing here? Oh. But no, atollers works and doesn't feel as much like a, you know, post-apocalyptic slur. So I'm in on that. That's good. That's good. Yeah. yeah. So, so basically uh, I've always been a, a, a huge fan of this movie. It, it's, it, I don't know if it's if if you've seen my movies uh, beyond Skyline and Skylines, it's not kind of a hard thing to understand why I would love big budget sci-fi that maybe isn't for everyone. Um, so I, I always loved it, and I always I followed the production of it. Um, I used to get Premiere Magazine, which is one of the things I I made fun of people when they still talk about the finances of this movie because Premiere Magazine would like report breathlessly about what a disaster this was going to be. And I, you know, this was like one of those, what is 1995? So, you know, I'm like 13 and I'm like very excited about this movie, but also kind of gossipy, like, oh my God, they're spending a lot of money. Uh, I was really excited uh, when it came out and and saw it in the theater and was it was just one of those like, I don't know what everyone's talking about. Uh, this is a great time. Uh, so I have that in my background, but the reason why it, it uh, I was tweeting about it this year is that um, I got the universal annual pass for my family. I've got oh. four kids. So you need the context there. Um, and so we saw Waterworld uh, and it was such a great time that they came home and they were like, we want to see this movie. What What is this about? And by the way, the the I cannot stress enough if you've never been to the stunt show and oh you're in God. the Los Angeles area or just on the planet Earth, you have to go to the stunt show. You gotta show. go to the stunt show. It's like the greatest live entertainment ever created. And it's just, it's amazing to be someone who was a fan of this. And then like 30 years later in a, in a packed auditorium, seeing someone 
preach loudly about dry land. <laughs> like you're like, wait, this is fucking mind boggling. Like, like they've been doing this every day uh-huh. for 30 years. That's the thing. Cause I, I mean, I remember like, so on the counter side, I had not seen Waterworld till June, but as a kid growing up, it used to be the Miami Vice water, uh, the Miami Vice stunt spectacular. And I was super into that. And I remember, like, I remember nothing about it, except there was a speedboat. Obviously it's Miami Vice. There has to be a speedboat. And then it turned into the Waterworld stunt, stunt show. And I was very upset, but got super into that as well. And so for me, that like that and the tram tour to me were the highlights of going like you go to Universal Studios for those never would have anticipated that that would outlast the original Jurassic Park ride and the E.T. ride. Like in what world? were It's just something about the combination of water and these high things and the atolls like in the jet skis. It, it allows you so to do good. so many stunts that safely. That yeah. you can't really do otherwise. Like I think when I was a kid and we went there, it was the it was briefly the A-team stunt show. And I have like a weird memory of that. Yeah. And it was more of like a dirt part. It had the van uh and stuff like that. But um, but yeah, so we went to the stunt show, it was it was a total hit, and then the kids said, Oh, that I want to watch Waterworld again. So I watched it again, and then I just just seeing the the the, the trimaran. In all its glory, again, I, I was just like, this is fucking incredible. Yeah. And uh, and, and I kind of had already tweeted about it a couple of years earlier when I watched it the time before. Every time you kind of mention it on Twitter, it seems to get a big reaction. But I don't know. I've never, never really seen anything like this where all these people that hadn't seen the movie started started watching it and, uh, and tagging me. And, and it kind of went on for uh, a couple of weeks. Yeah, I feel like kind of culturally... Um we're sort of at this like revisiting point of a lot of different things that we all were dismissed out of hand back when it first came out or that have been apocryphally like, Oh, this is a bad movie that a lot of, there's a lot of revisiting. Like I have called this prestige uh, master and commander prestige water world. Now having recently also watched master and commander, they're not dissimilar. They're not, they're not. I desperately want to make a shirt that has the opening audio that, you know, the future, the polar ice caps have melted covering the world, the earth with water. Those who survived have adapted to a new world. I can't find the Master and Commander font. And I so desperately want to make a t-shirt that has it in the Master and Commander font, like the opening credit sequence. I would buy that shirt. Right? It's just, it is. It's prestige. I'm sorry. It's prestige Waterworld. But I feel like that also is something that it didn't do well. It didn't really. And now has had the second life on Twitter where it just sort of grows. I think people are excited to revisit stuff that we all thought was just secretly our one like dirty pleasure, not something like, you know what I mean? Dirty pleasure, guilty not dirty pleasure? pleasure, guilty pleasure. Thank you. I was like, I was having one of those just like, not that English isn't my first language. Where I was like, I know there's a word for it, but I can't think of the exact word I want. I'll choose the nearest one. Thank you. Yes. Guilty pleasure. I feel like Waterworld is one of those guilty pleasures that now people are like, oh, wait, no, other people like this collectively. We can all get into this now. We're allowed. And you've yeah. allowed us that, Liam. Well, absolutely. And and I and I do think it has to do with the the evolution in, in filmmaking and and I mean it's part of Tom Cruise's prolonged peak now for you know 60 years that uh you know that, that they're still trying to do the stunts and they're trying yeah. to do everything as real as possible. And so when you go back to a time when the only way to do it was to do the stunts and to do it as real as possible, it just pops in ways that you can't compare, you know, like not I, I, not to pick on the Flash, which has been 
uh, you know, maybe the modern water world as of right now, uh, financially. Um, but you know, I watched that, uh, with my kids this past week and there's just, you know, whole swaths of the movie where there's, it's just fully animated. Um, and, and I'm not, and I even I think some of the VFX have gotten, uh, overly, uh, criticized, uh, cause you know, I do have a visual effects background. So I'm always very sensitive to people just, uh, you know, completely shitting on VFX and, and, yeah. and how much work goes into that stuff. But everybody that does work in VFX, like loves practical stunts and, and loves to see stuff like this, that then, you know, you meld it in smart and fun ways. Like, um, so yeah, I, I, I just think going back and, and being like, wait a minute, that's Kevin Costner on the top of that boat, like a hundred feet up. And that's had to be a helicopter. Oh my God. So we're in the middle of the ocean on a helicopter and a boat. And, and that's real. And I think the farther things get, and uh, this will be my first mention, probably not the last of AI, but the farther things get into this, you know, fake, uh, auto-generated future, the more these treasures are going to just, uh, you know, gleam brighter in the rear view because it had to be done for real. Yeah, I think that's a great point because uh, big fan of, like, I we the other movie we taught, Independence Day, still holds a record for the most miniatures and it's it's tangible. It's a movie that feels and looks good 30 years later because it's it's real. And uh, I saw that apparently Barbie uses a lot of practical and I'm about to go see that. So I haven't seen it yet, but I'm excited about that because it does feel, even if you're doing something that's a little like it's intentionally supposed to look artificial, the artifice has weight to it. And uh, yeah, I think that, like you said about AI, obviously that for both of us is a big part of our industry right now is that conversation. And yet the, the, the uncanny valley, it's weird that like the uncanny valley thing that we all noticed with Robertson Meckes's trying to do mocap stuff and everyone at 20 years ago was going this is weird and off-putting and I don't know that I like it and the industry basically turned around and was like well that's cool but that's a you problem we're doing nothing but and it's just increasingly like we're watching these things that everything is pinging in our brains of this isn't real this isn't tangible this isn't and obviously some of that is if we're going to get into the flash of it all or the you know the Marvel DC of it all obviously there's a huge issue with the amount of lead time they're all given the crunch that they're in and like being able to actually efficient you can do much better you can create much realer effects than what we're necessarily seeing because of like working conditions but even beyond that there's a difference we see it you as moviegoers you can see it and yeah it's genuine like watching this was shocking with how cool everything looks how real the the stunt work alone is so bananas and brazen. The siege of the atoll is, I mean, water skiers, man. Attack water skiers. <laughs> Attack water skiers. Attack water skiers. Genius. Who sat I mean, there and thought of that? And and you get you get a very good appreciation for this stuff being in production when you realize, like, oh my god, this fucking uh, dinner scene is taking all day long, and it's literally people sitting around a table. Right. And you're moving around. So like those actually sometimes are the, the hardest scenes to shoot. But just you, you know, just resetting things like um, in, in the last movie I did, it was like five or six people walking through a uh, a valley. Mm-hmm. And every time I'd cut, it would take 
10 minutes just to get like all the LEDs on their stuff was breaking and then the makeup and the hair. And you're like, I just don't even want to yell cut. I just want to yell everyone to go back to one because then they won't stop and it will slow us down so much. That's just a long way of saying like to get the, the waters, the water ski and the jet ski, like back to the ones Mm -hmm. (laughs) to do take two on everything is where my brain is always breaking when I'm watching this. Cause the amount of stuff that they're setting on fire and then have to put out in that just one sequence. Ridiculous. Okay. Back to ones. Let's rebuild the world. And you're like, Oh my God, it's just, it just seems so daunting and and time consuming. And it was, it was, it was, just the, the amount of time they'd have to spend air drying Kevin Costner like that in and of itself. You got to get five fans on that man because he just jumped in the water and we got to reset to one. Come on. That's too much. You got to That's too much air drying. Well, you brought him up. So mm-hmm. Kevin Costner. So this is another thing that I found interesting. Just talking about Waterworld and having go viral. Like some people like just hate this guy. Yeah. And I, I don't kind of I kind of get it. I, I kind of don't. I don't know. It, it's up for. Uh, discussion. I'd like to hear your take on it because um, he, he, to me, like I, I in, in the show Action for Everyone, like we always talk about these sort of star producers and how great they can be to push things forward. Like if if you don't have a star that wants to do this, which by the way, he's coming off winning Best Director, and he's like, I think I want to make like this schlocky sci-fi fucking yeah. Mad Max on the sea. Like that's awesome to me. That 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 is means he's the coolest guy. He read a script that said he was gonna have ear gills and webbed feet and he was like, sign me the fuck up. I want ear gills and I want to show off my growth because his webbed feet that are so gross looking. They're disgusting. And yes. He was a hundred percent he he was like, oh I'm gonna drink my own urine in the first scene. Yeah. Give and me that. be a miserable bastard for, you know, 75% of the runtime, which is again, so, so people were to be like, oh, that, that they, they'd yell at me and the response and they'd call it this vanity project. And I'm like, well, for, that's such an interesting word yeah. to me because all movies are vanity projects in some way or another. Right. Sure. Even if, even if it's like Charlize Theron monster, it's like, well, she still did it to win the Academy Award. So there's some, even, even with a complete lack of vanity is still, self-serving in some ways in art so i always am like what actually constitutes a vanity project and what doesn't yeah and i I just feel like i don't know the one where the guy is like a fish man who's (laughs) who's a miserable asshole for 75 percent of the runtime is not exactly the same as like uh you know some rom-com that where every woman is like what up what a babe you know so i don't know I, i i felt like it was kind of a weird thing and also his hair is not uh, you know, the, the thickest, for... fullest mane. And yeah. he's, as someone who who has thinning hair, like to decide to do a whole movie with wet hair is yeah. brave to me. That is not something that uh, a man with stringy thinning hair would do if he wanted to be the most vain person alive. That was, see, I I, I did, I was going to bring that up once you finished was, was essentially, I mean, if you want to call it a vanity project, the guy didn't put any sort of plugs or extensions in. You can see every bit of scalp. And he does not get like that. This is not a vanity project in the sense that Kevin Costner was like, yeah, I'm going to look hot as shit and it's going to position me to be a real heartthrob. No, he took it because it was weird. And I got to respect him. He already was a heartthrob. I mean, Robin Hood kind of did that. Yeah. Right? he And which if anything, Robin Hood to me. So 
I am a foremost Kevin Costner stan and apologist um, entirely because of the fact that he plays baseball players really well and really hotly. <laughs> oh, that's right. I do. I do know from Twitter yeah. that you have a uh, unhealthy lust. Well, I don't I don't I don't want to call it. I don't no. want yeah, I was going to say a fetish, but I don't I don't want to get judgmental, but like definitely a fixation on attractive baseball players. So this makes perfect sense. Well, it's not that I have a fix. Let me. Let me clarify. I have a fixation on attractive men <laughs> that I also happen to be a big True. baseball fan. And there's a lot of really attractive baseball players. So, there's a lot of overlap. Yeah, there's a lot of overlap. It's just a, that the makes Venn sense. diagram of my interests. If there was like an abundance of really hot geologists, I would be thirsting about that. Being like, oh, look at this volcanologist hiking up a volcano. Like I would be. They don't put them on primetime television. You don't, no. no, you don't get as much exposure to them. They also don't often wear tight pants like baseball players do. There's just like, it just doesn't happen. But trust me, I am, I will thirst pretty equally about any attractive man. Um, but Kevin Costner in particular, because like he does play sort of he plays the baseball player who reads pretty much consistently and like <laughs> crash you know look crash davis he's a he's a reader we know this it's textual in the opening of for love of the game he is sitting there with like i it's not howard zinn but it's like a you know 700 page book on the team plane with his finger in the book showing that he's been reading it of some sort of history of america like, this is very clear. He, his thing is always that he's a baseball player, but he's not a dumb baseball As a result, Kevin Costner was just like hardwired to be a point of lust for me. So Waterworld, I was like, you've got me, you've sold me. I'm going to be in just based on the fact that it's Kevin Costner for two hours. I'll watch him do pretty much anything except for Robin Hood. I tried. I tried so okay. hard. And to me, Robin Hood is more of a vanity project than this is because there is no world in which- I, I agree. Yeah, there's no world in which he was suited for any of the choices he made in that at all. At all. I haven't rewatched it in a very long time. I will say at the time, it it, it was it was big and people like I like yeah. myself, we, we liked it. It was like just, just seeing and apparently a, a camera attached to an arrow was enough. I, it was very exciting. Fair, reasonable. I get it. And uh, like- and the concept of Kevin Costner, because as I was watching this, you watch him swing around on ropes a bunch. Ah, which is, I don't know why that's so exciting to it's me. It's so cool. I just cool. want to be able to do it. I want to just leap through the air and get pulled around yeah. and know what I'm doing. Maybe it's that. It, it's, it's the, the competence of it. It's the fact that it's not just that he's swinging. It's that he can do that on a moving ship while also being in motion and landing exactly where he wanted to. That's that's it's the confidence. And his stunt double was uh, Laird Hamilton, uh, no, noted superhuman uh, surfer. So that's it's part of why uh, there is so much uh, lived in competence. And I, I yeah, there's a lot of competence porn in this. It's very exciting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like watching and watching the the avatar of Kevin Costner, even so physically Kevin Costner, but like watching him swing around, I fully got why he was trying to go Errol Flynn in the nineties. Like, yeah, this is a guy who could, who I can see him wanting to have his Errol Flynn life. And this does Captain Blood so much more competently than Robin Hood does Errol Flynn's Robin Hood. Like I could see, I could see the through line here way more than I could with, with Robin Hood. That's, that's, that's that a great also, point. Yeah. Because when I was watching it, I was thinking more of the sci-fi lineage and, and, and with the mm -hmm. postman and that I definitely see him like, but he's fusing the Errol Flynn with Charlton Heston, like I, 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 it, yeah. I definitely feel like he loved 
those 70s Charlton Heston movies, which is, I guess, a little bit more what The Postman is. Yeah. But and then it's also John Wayne. Like he he definitely fancies himself a cowboy uh, from all of his Westerns, of course. But the, the John Wayne sure. kind of prickly asshole part to the Mariner is is also very apparent. But that's also why I love it is that it 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 feels like a very American uh, post-apocalyptic sci-fi. Um, you know, obviously sure. it's it's heavily indebted and it, there's no secret, even the people that made it talk about it indebted to Mad Max and specifically the Road Warrior. But even just like Dennis yeah. Hopper uh, is so American, like whereas nowadays I feel like everyone would have like a vaguely British accent in this. <laughs> the, the the evil the evil British man yeah yeah it, instead you've got that like deep fried Dennis Hopper it would be like Australians and yeah. you know a, a big melting pot and this one every, Dennis Hopper is just like you know get this twangy accent calling everybody cousin and talking about golfing it's fantastic I I want to know because like obviously this is very far in the future and I just want to know where the where Dennis Hopper built in that accent from where he was like oh I'm gonna create this character and he spent some time in the southern seas like there's no we no longer have those territories (laughs) how has this held up but I don't care because it's Dennis Hopper's choices in this movie are all so completely unhinged and also the truest choices that have ever been made in cinema. It's the whole thing when during the atoll, um, the atoll attack, when there's that the gunner boat is coming at him and they're all yelling the gunner boat guy's name and his name is Chuck and it's not working. And he goes, have you tried Charles? (laughs) It's like, what? What was this? And then everyone's just yelling Charles and Charlie at him instead. And it's this weird, weirdly hilarious moment during a very high stakes sequence. And I just, I everything that Dennis Hopper's character does in this could have been scripted or could have just been choices Dennis Hopper made that they were like, we'll let you run with it, man. This wasn't where the script was supposed to go, but do it. I'm glad you mentioned that exact moment because I, I put on the uh, extended cut today, uh, this morning to to prep for it. And um mm-hmm. And that did jump out to me. It's just a very, very funny line. And and it also, there, I, I do think there's a lot of improv going on, but like it runs long too. It'll be like within yeah. one shot. And he's like, uh, in the extended, uh, I'm not sure if this one's in the theatrical, when he gets to the atoll, he's like, how long has it been since we've uh, done another raid? And the guy's like, hmm, yeah. And he's like, no, how long has it? And I was like, oh, that that doesn't seem like a, a written piece of dialogue. And the, the guy's like fumbling with his trying to be in the moment responses and stuff like that, which again, yeah. I will probably uh, upset some some of my my Waterworlders, Atollers and say that I, I do like the theater theatrical cut better than the extended i like the extended but that's for like nerds only i think them trying to like push the extended onto first timers is a mistake it's too much yeah i i don't think not everything needs a snyder cut like i get it i i watched the superman to the donner cut because i was i'd never watched superman any of the supermans before and everyone's like you have to watch the donner cut and watching it i get why the donner cut is the exception that makes the rule i don't know that i need like a four-hour water world it's it's three hours and most of the stuff is it's interesting. It's like it's yeah. world building stuff. Um, there's this particular scene, like I said, I'm pretty sure this one was new, was uh, was Helen talks about when Enola showed up at the atoll and that mm-hmm. uh, th- they wanted to just, you know, kill her, basically. And she she said, 
you know, she was so precious. I wouldn't let anything happen to him. So they said, you can raise her, but that means you can't have a child of your own. And I was like, oh, that's, that's a nice little that's... bit of a, you know, like why she loves this girl so much, but also just it, 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 at the same world building, great, world building like, great scene. But at the same time, there was never a moment where I was like, why does she love this little girl? Like, I don't know. That's just human. So it, it right. there's just, it, there's such a propulsion to the theatrical cut. And I'm, I'm kind of like a pacing propulsion editing junkie. I like things to be, to move forward. I think it's why I really love like um, Christopher Nolan's movies. It's mm-hmm. mainly like, like the prestige is just like, ah, it, it's like a, it, this coke fueled propulsion of like and we're we're flying over trains and people are reading things and it's always moving forward the first batman begins is a lot like that as well and i i just love that kind of like incisive editing and there's there's a good amount of that in the theatrical that of course gets spaced out and it's even so yeah i i the other movie that i'm really not a big fan of the extended of um more i think the ulysses cut is better but terminator 2 is one of my favorite movies I don't like the extended cut. So maybe it's just specifically about movies that I watched over and over again on VHS in the nineties. And then when I see the extra stuff, I'm like, my brain immediately like falls out. Like it, it doesn't hit the groove anymore. And I'm like, no, no. Good. So um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the few more watches I'll, I'll like that one better, but I generally think that theatrical is uh is, is a nice tight experience that really kind of gets to that awesome third act conclusion sooner. It kind of reminds me, like the extended cut conversation kind of reminds me of, you know, now that AI is doing the, people are doing the AI that shows you what's going on outside of the scene or outside of the frame of the scene and shows you like, you know, Indiana Jones in front of the idol. And then you can see the top of the cave and you can see like the doorway. And it's sort of like, yeah, we can do that. But does it tell you anything new? And that's kind of how I feel about the theatrical cut versus an extended cut of something is that. In with rare exceptions, with the exception of the studio stepped in and completely demolished what the original filmmaker was trying to do, in general, editing is part of storytelling. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know that well. And so I do kind of think I actually would have really liked to have had that sequence, that that little bit from Helen, because Helen to me is one of like uh, the least consistent characters. I understand. Like you're never gonna get a great second, a, a great romantic second in a studio movie like this in the nineties. But I think that could have gone a long way is getting a little bit more insight into why Helen so fiercely is defending this kid. In addition to it being like, Oh, she's a kid. It's also Helen's made a sacrifice to have to keep this kid alive. And therefore. Um, yeah. There, but- she definitely is. I, I think, I think that's, that's definitely her character in general is helped in the uh, extended cut. It's also kind of funny, like they just like every in the extended cut, there's so many scenes with just like it feels like sort of background extras talking. And you're like, well, you yeah. guys can get out of here. <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot of there's a lot of day players in the extended cut. And uh in in the other one, it's like only like six people are allowed to talk in this movie. And that's what I'm saying. Like most of the day player stuff, you're just not gonna need in like there's a reason it's in an extended cut. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't give us new information that actually is gonna matter in the story. It gives us more information. Well, they do they show us that he is a thigh master and they think it's a torture device. So that was cute. Oh, that's important <laughs> to know. That's because you know it, it sets you set up his why his ass is so tight in that first shot and so you have to pay it off with the thigh master so that's actually like a Chekhov's gun they really let lie um because that first the opening you know every you have different hero introduction moments and 
there's some great ones, some great hero introduction moments. You know, one of my favorites will always be Kate Winslet looking up from under the hat at the Titanic. Very different tenor with this hero moment because we meet Kevin Costner's character. We meet the Mariner with his back to us, his buttocks firmly clenched as he's peeing into a glass that he's going to process that urine to drink. It is clenched very tight. Oh, it's so clenched because you can't help but notice it because the pants are V-shaped toward his ass cheeks. So this isn't even me lusting after Kevin Costner. I was just like, look, the, the eye is being drawn oh, yes. specifically and intentionally at the butt sheets. Yes. You're, you're yeah. talking about framing uh, and, and the artist's intention. It is a look at my ass shot. So maybe there we are. That That is the vanity that just irks some men. God damn Which, this Costner. Who does he think he is making me stare at his clenched ass? Stare at his ass. <laughs> Twice. First he did in Dancing with Wolves and in Robin Hood. Like the man, the man does. And- I got I got to thank a guy who's like, you know what? I'm going to throw something in for the female gaze, even if it is, again, a guy with his back to us peeing into a glass. At least he threw us. Which, which again, is explained in the extended cut where she Helen asks him, how come you don't use the seawater? And he says the salt is harder on the filters. Done. Great line. Perfect. Great, line. Great, explanation. Great, line. Great explanation. I already got it. I didn't need that because yeah. uh, like I'm not the science nerd you are, but I know that desalination is a very uh, energy uh, heavy process and would not make sense in water world. Yeah. I mean, I, it honestly, like, I, cause I was like, mm, I don't feel as if, I mean, it's not going to bother me that he chooses to drink his own processed urine. Like sure. Close system. Go for it. Whatever, man. I'm not I don't think you're better than an astronaut, Kevin Costner. And astronauts drink their own urine, so I'm gonna I'm gonna allow this. But yeah, it is technically not that hard to desal water, um, especially if you're sitting like you can just if you're sitting out on in the sun all day long, you can technically really? you can just like use evaporation. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, there yeah. you go. I learned something. He could use evaporation, and basically the water would evaporate and leave behind the salt. It just would be time consuming. Like there's ways to do it, but I don't care. I don't care. I'm not in Waterworld. I'm not drinking my own urine. He can do it's it. It's a great visual. I mean, that's the other it's thing. It's a great, we're, yeah. We're, 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 it's cinema. It's pictures. It, yeah. If he's slowly desalinating what you described, that, that's not, that's not, not a not shot. Sigmatic. That's not a shot. Can't do that. No. And and it also doesn't tell you anything about the circumstances under which these people all live, which is, hey, welcome to this to Waterworld, where there's so little drinkable water that we all just drink our own urine by Mm -hmm. choice. Like that tells you a lot going right in and uh, really sets you up nicely for the rest of the chaos of the film. Hydro. You you need that hydro. Pure. Need the hydro. There's plenty of gas in order to operate like jet skis. That's not an issue. We can we can fully refine oil in the future, but we can't get fresh drinkable. Well, they are running out. That is part of the plot. Yeah, they are. They They are are running out. They I have know. the old man down there that who that the old guy just praying for death in, in the tanker. He's 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 what a beautiful speaking of like sort of a day player, a, a featured role. Uh, yeah, he he just has these these few scenes. But, uh, you know, the ending. Oh, what does he say? Oh, thank God. Yes. He says, I love it. Oh, thank God. Right before he blows up. <laughs> So great. This is also, I was a notably one of the only films that features both a rescue by hot air balloon and a rescue by bungee jump. Okay. Uh, and I remember you tweeting about this. You're making fun of the bungee jump. I wasn't making fun of it. I was just saying that it's just. It's a perfectly fine thing to make fun of. Let's be honest. But I'll say you have to remember 
how big bungee jumping was in our imaginations in the mid nineties. <laughs> it was huge. And so like mo- mo- movies are okay. always trying to grab a little bit about, you know, what's hip, sure. what's hot. There is literally, I, I, I've always, maybe I'm giving this away, but I always thought it'd be a really funny, like Wes Anderson type of character about, about, because uh-huh. there was an X games the X Games, there were bungee jumping competitions. So there is a human being out there who has a gold medal from like the first X Games for bungee jumping. Like th- we had competitive bungee jumping at the you X did? Games. Yeah. So I always thought it would be great. Like, like you know, how Wes Anderson's like, uh, you know, Royal Tenenbaums, how, you know, the, the tennis player, this grace, like guy sure. who's just like, was the gold, <laughs> gold medalist at the X game, but like it didn't lead anywhere, <laughs> but he still got this gold medal at the X games. Like I was the world's best bungee jumper. And everyone's like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. But like, what is that? I don't know. But there's, there's a very specific action <laughs> movie in that. That's like there, we, we covered a movie a while back called exit, which is a South Korean movie about a guy who is very specific. Like, He's a rock climber and he ends up in a situation where his family is trapped in a skyscraper in downtown and he has to get them at get he basically has to scale the face of the building as a rock climber to get up to the emergency exit. And then the rest of the movie is him use like rock climbing through a, an urban cityscape. And it is such a specific use of skills. And I feel like there has to be something you can do with bungee jumping in that same way as exit of like, okay, well, that's not necessarily what I would have ever thought this would come in handy for, but it's definitely cool. Well, yeah. So that uh, that's my, my, my lone defense is that, th- you know, the, these type of movies, these big budget things, they always want to put in something a little, a little sure. hip, a little edgy. And those jet Xers, they love them bungee jumping. So they, they put it in the finale. I, I had, I had no idea bungee jumping was so big in the nineties. Like that must've just bypassed me entirely. It was like the whole mountain dew, just, uh, you know, right. Uh, it was all very extreme. extreme. I remember the 90s being extreme with an X. There's a lot of Xs. I know we're back. We're back to the X being cool again. Well, not really, but just being forced upon no. us. Um. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is like it, it, it's a very it was a very an era of Mountain Dew surge and just like adding extraneous Xs into I, things just to showcase. How I cool love it surge. Is. I don't and, know. Or maybe it was terrible. I, I, I mean, I drank OK Soda like the some of the, like the worst marketing ever would work on me back then i'd be like oh this is this is cool i'm gonna call 1-800 i feel okay and listen to their weird voicemail messages and stuff yeah i mean the 90s were were a pinnacle of weird drinks that we all just accepted orbits drink do you remember orbits it was like a soda that had little balls colored balls in it but they weren't they were like tapioca balls but not no and it was also carbonated that sounds terrifying horrible oh no it was gross. Uh, I never drank it. I left it in my room as like decoration. But that was sort of what they were doing to us in the 90s, which is like, well, we've got these leftover chemicals here. We can probably put carbonation in it and someone yes. will drink it. So yeah, that's surge for you. I'm not criticizing, to go back yes. to the bungee jumping, I wasn't necessarily making fun of it. It's just that the movie splits tones mm-hmm. so much where you'll be like watching this very high stakes, this very gripping sequence of boat maneuvering and things and then there'll be a hot air balloon rescue and it just like oh right i forgot that we had the wheel of random objects that just this movie occasionally pulls in every joke about the glass eye like there's just these it's totally two very different things and every so often i would just get pulled back into oh right fuck this is a movie where someone can bungee jump to rescue yes 
because otherwise it doesn't feel like a movie where someone would bungee jump to rescue. No, it doesn't. It, it doesn't. You're very right. Different. It, uh, yeah. I think that's a that's a very fair criticism. Yeah, and it's not even a it's not even like a criticism. It's just truly one of those things where, like, the same way that the sequence the, when he's trying to leave the atoll and the elders come up with their oh, teen yes. you know oh, child yes. bride and are like we, we just want you to impregnate her you don't have to do anything else that is so that moment i like i was watching on the couch and i like did a scooby-doo style double take and had to pause it because i was like i'm so sorry wait when did we get into kevin costner's seed like when did that become a plot line uh, I was not anticipating that in any way, shape, or form with Waterworld. And so that's like the same thing. Tonally in this movie, every so often, you're like, well, I know what I signed up for for Waterworld. I know. Price of admission. We got boats. We got water. We got a post-apocalyptic scenario. I did not anticipate hot air balloons, webbed feet, um, impregnating child brides. Like Those were things that I just did not realize on the ticket was going to be coming with it. And I'm not complaining. I just... It's unexpected. No, I I think that's that's uh, more than fair, and I think I think I'd even separate it to like there's the bungee jumping, ear gills, webbed feet, uh, you know the 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 needle drops as Dennis Hopper is driving his awesome car through the ship. The needle drops, just like banana, and it's like banana. I mean, that stuff's just so and like fully using a Peter Gunn. The Peter Gunn, yeah, yes, at one point just it's comes very, in. very comic book in in a great way. But then, in, in another reason why you you go back to this and you go, wow, this is sort of like refreshing is some of the things we're talking. I mean, maybe not refreshing in all the ways, but you're like, it's just not like that safe. Like this is a this is a movie that they spent more money than any other movie ever made, and they didn't seem to care whether or not the lead was likable. Like they they actually made yeah. him, you know, that this asshole who uh, barters, uh, you know, th- this girl's mother away for a half an hour for two pieces of paper. So there's a lot of yeah. very strange uh, sexual politics in here, and I do want to grab because I do. It is very funny when they come up and ask for a seed. Because the 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 girl that they cast as the daughter is just sort of like dazed, and like staring into the mid distance. <laughs> I think they're kind of implying that she is inbred already. It's it's very strange. Yeah, yeah. it's all very strange. But yes, here the I mean Kevin Costner is not likable, but in a way that's like not. It's twenty years before the adult man adopted child anti-hero trope that we now fucking love every single modern movie and tv show is now here's an angry grizzled man who has personal damage and the child that they've unwillingly taken on it, it's he's you know just ahead of his time narrative you know yeah it, um, it, it it i i definitely was feeling that when i watched it again but i also feel like because he's so hesitant and there's such a thick wall and he's so so mean that when they do become friends and he's willing to get mm-hmm. her like it is such a a sharp turn that you get really yeah. into it. Whereas even now, yeah. um, you know, movies uh, and shows like like you were I think you were hinting at like The Last of Us, like they're still kind of like OK together from the beginning. They're, they have their disagreements and stuff, but no one would ever be allowed to be like grab grabbing women and just cutting their hair off like it, they're so savage yeah. that you're like oh yeah you couldn't do that today I don't oh think. yeah no there's a level of disdain that he has that's really just seeps right off of him for both of the child and Helen and it's you know Enola Enola's not a terrible disaster child we 
can have terrible disaster children. She's she's adequate. Her biggest mistake is that her is that Helen has never gotten her a full shirt. And that's not her fault. Sure. Like if you're trying to hide a tattoo on a child's back, I would not do an off the shoulders crop right. um, stylistically. I would probably cover that a little bit better. But other than that, and the fact that she's never been taught to swim in a world entirely composed of water, which is a safety issue and not her fault. Otherwise, she's a great disaster kid. She doesn't do anything particularly like horrible. She doesn't go wandering off when told not to, I don't think. Like, no. She's just along for the ride and she's No, and, and she has some great scenes in the movie. I mean, in particular, yeah. my favorite scene of hers is at the end uh, when she's, I call it doing the Colonel Troutman from the uh, First mm-hmm. Blood Rambo series where- They'll always bring in Richard Crenna to be like, you don't know what you're getting. You got you bargained for. You got John Rambo after you. And he just starts talking about how awesome Rambo is and usually cut to Rambo Mm -hmm. killing a lot of people. So in this case, uh, Enola is just like he's the he's the baddest motherfucker alive. And it's just cutting to, you know, um, Costner slaughtering people through the tanker. Mm-hmm. That that's what I'm talking about with that propulsive editing. I love that scene. That That's probably my favorite scene yeah. in the movie sequence. It's a great sequence. Tina Margarino, Margarino is great in it too. Like just really good kid actor in that. And like by the end, I appreciate, you know, I always like a movie where the end moral isn't, and then he learns to like kids, but it's specifically, and then he decides that one particular child is okay. Like Alan Grant in Jurassic Park, his character arc is that he goes from hating all children to being like, well, these two are all right. And I feel like same thing for the Mariner. He doesn't go from being like, I'm grizzled and don't want any people in my life to, oh, there's room in my life for love and acceptance. He's like, okay, fine. These two particular people I like well enough to not kill, but I'm still not going to spend any more time with them than I need to. And I appreciate that in a character. I think that like he is one of our great introvert characters on film at this point. Because I also would be like, "Mm, staying on a desert island with three other people or I can be in my boat and just go back to the island occasionally. I'm choosing the I'm choosing the boat. Yeah, yeah. People, they, 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 the ending seems so kind of like he can't just come back, and it's like, well, why can't he just you know go in and go out? Um, yeah. But yeah, there. It feels very final for for something that should not be that <laughs> yeah, final. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, especially because he's always trading and looking for things the whole time. It's like, hey, just you know, go out for the day, come home at night. Um, but yeah, I. You trade dirt and now you can get so much dirt. Yeah, you don't have to go for a swim every time. I think yeah. I think you're right though. And I think what is interesting is that like like you're talking about being an invert. It's like not mm-hmm. to keep talking about the extended cut, but they do it does have a little bit more of like anti-herd thinking in there because the yeah. scenes with the rest of the people in the atoll, they're very suspicious of Enola as well. They don't like her either because of her mm-hmm. mysterious uh, Moses floating up to the atoll and the fact that they know the smokers are after her uh, from before the movie yeah. starts. So um, there, there's kind of a, kind of more of that sort of like American individualism. Like, you know, I, you, you asked me what you thought about what I thought about the politics of this movie and I think it's all kind of a big jumble. And I think that's kind of what yeah. makes it work. Like, I don't know how concerned the movie is about climate change. They're just kind of like, wouldn't it be cool if you could do Mad Max with jet skis? Um, yeah. But I do think because it's Costner and because of the decisions he wants to make, and even the way he's like kind of telling her to like stop talking, stop moving around and just like listen to the world and you know, get away from the herd, be by yourself. It does 
it has that sort of frontier, you know, uh, Western hero thing where he's he's just at one with nature. Yeah. And so I do feel like the only real politics of it is that like individualism, you know, like that 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 he that that's the the true hero is the one that can kind of be out there on his own by himself, doesn't rely on anyone. It's interesting, especially since like he's obviously put up in contrast with a guy who is leading a cult, like very explicitly, very clearly, which I would also follow that character into a, a cult. So I get it. He's very compelling. Dennis Hopper does a great job of just like speaking like a madman to a group of people and making a good argument for it. But yeah, I think that actually like in terms of the what is this really about? The idea of rugged individualism versus a herd mentality is a really good one because, yeah, this is a movie entirely about the opposition of those two yeah. things. And, that, and, like, I, and yeah. I, I was thinking about it because I was like, you know, when when we get with people nowadays with there's the whole uh, the woke industrial complex thing on on mm-hmm. YouTube of of these, uh, you know, man babies crying that Barbie is too woke. And they, and they have a screen grab of their face contorted next, next, next to a <laughs> yes. picture of Barbie. It's like, ah, uh-huh. why can't movies just be like they used to be? And I think that they're they're like, because the 90s were like largely apolitical, like there's stuff in here where they're making fun of industrialists. It, there's stuff where they're kind of making fun of religion. There's stuff where they're making fun. But you can't like really get a, a clean like oh this was made by democrats this was made by republicans through line on any of it i don't think but i guess that it's just yeah. that sort of herd versus the individual which americans love anyway so uh yeah maybe that that's kind of the again where people go back wow why couldn't it just be the way it used to be maybe that's what uh some of the some of our uh our less evolved uh friends are are, are pining for but no um yeah there's there's definitely it's hard to really trace this as 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 a, a champion for climate change. I don't really see it. Oh yeah, I wouldn't. I I this is not a climate change movie. I definitely don't think it. I I think it could. You could make an argument for it, but not in the way that you would expect it to be. Which is that this is a climate change movie in the sense that this is a movie about how we will continue the same cycles, even at the point of our own doom. Like when you look at the smokers versus the atollers and the ways that. I mean, they're burning through, fo- they are literally burning through the remaining fossil fuel. And even with that, they don't change tactics. They don't, they're just like, we need to find more ways to get fossil fuel then. We need to take more, we need to, you know, ravage the few remaining spaces in order to get more fossil fuel. Like this is not a jump from how we have handled the climate crisis. It's okay, well, we're just going to keep going forward and doing the same thing we've been doing, but angrier now. I don't think that that's a, I think that could definitely, like if I was going to do a, what is this really about? that would probably be mine is this is about the climate crisis, but not in the way that not in a preventative way, but in a, we are damned to continue this cycle straight on through into the future where all the ice caps. No, maybe it is then maybe Um, it is, maybe you're right. Cause yeah, that was what was kind of uh, was sticking for me is that like, they don't even really go into what happened. I guess it's just our way of life is going to lead to this. So yeah, maybe you're right. Yeah. And it, it like it's a foregone conclusion. There's nothing that's really warning about it in the sense of, you know, even God bless the fact that they get the voiceover guy to do the intro voiceover. I did absolutely make the joke on Twitter and I'll make it again that that's where most of the budget went was just to get Don Bluth to do the opening like in a world voice. Because... Again, an American voice, which I feel like if you do this nowadays, it, it would be uh, some vague, vague accent. 
of uh, of Australia. Yeah, you could get or New like, Zealander. I would see. I was going to say like you would get the a British like somebody with an OBE yes. yes. to do it. You would get you know what's his uh, Malcolm McDowell to do the voiceover <laughs> at this point because that just sounds. Oh yeah, that actually sounds pretty good. I know that's the thing. Malcolm McDowell does such a great voiceover. Um, but yeah, I I do think like that is. I I don't think that this is ultimately a movie. This is a movie that uses climate change as the framework in the same way that you know volcano uses the San um the ninety four quake as kind of a framework, but it's not about it. But um and then I, I, yeah, I think that they just were like, well, this is a cool thing that's going to happen one day. But obviously, the what is this movie about is never actually a what they intended it to be. It's what I'm choosing to make it about. But yeah, it's this is not a movie that gives a shit about the actual effects of climate change. No, I don't. I'm not sure if it does. No. It doesn't no, doesn't, not at all. But it does kind of just, yeah. I think you're. I think that was a great. I think what you said about the smokers, though, is, is really great. And that it is like that there will be those that are are just kind of a doom cult all the way to the end. And uh, I guess yeah. in that way, it's very prophetic. I mean, it reminds me of you know the fact that like once the government was like, hey, we're going to start eliminating gas stoves, and there was a contingent of the right who immediately was like, well, no, you will take the gas stoves from our dead hands. It's like you guys don't even use the stove. What are you doing? Ben Shapiro, you have no opinion on stoves. Shut up. Right. But I, I, yeah, I see that through line in the smokers of like, you know, this is just humans will just keep doing it even as we know that this is a bad thing for us to do. You know, now that you brought so, it up, Tucker Carlson did mm-hmm. have this whole thing where he was kind of like, we should all start smoking more. And it was, it was yeah. fantastic. Uh, yeah. We should all, everyone's, they're trying to take away America. It was like America's cash crop is tobacco. Everyone should smoke. And it was like, okay, all right. So yeah, maybe 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 this is the future that we're that yeah. we're uh, going to inherit. Yeah, I mean, it's not when you see like these kind of post-apocalyptic movies. There's always this sort of thing of like, eh, does this feel like a thing that could actually happen? Not in the sense of the apocalypse, but in the way the humans have reacted to the apocalypse. And I definitely think the way that the atoll and the way that the smokers are like, yeah, this is not a big stretch to imagine that this is how society would break, like the line society would break down along. But I I doesn't change the fact that you know it doesn't matter this was the 90s yeah the 90s were a wonderful time of not we didn't have to worry about politics in our in our films well yeah there was also maybe we should have had a little bit more politics in our films a, a little bit a couple notes about you know there were two sheets of paper for for poor helen <laughs> maybe it could have been like something a little bit more understandable but two sheets of paper uh two sheets of paper yeah it's a tough one what's crazy is it's not called paper world so i don't know why that was that valuable it's just yeah like that's a very 90s thing what does the mariner have to write like i i'm a writer and i wouldn't trade a human for paper what does the mariner have to put down on paper that's so important that he has to trade helen away I think it was just he wanted to get rid of Helen. I, I think that was just an excuse. I don't I don't know. I, I'm I'm wondering because later she says, um, you know, when I offered myself to you, you didn't accept uh, you know, and he's like, Well, you didn't really want me then. And then they they make sweet uh 90s love. Yeah. Uh so maybe that this whole that whole Helen thing with the paper, this is me trying to defend the mariner. <laughs> Which I don't think he deserves, but maybe it's him just being like, it was he, a different time. He wanted to know, you know, if, if she was going to go along with it or not. It was a test to be like, well, this lady just showed up on my boat and uh, offered it me. And I, that that was a little icky. 
So now I'm going to see like it, if she goes along with it, then we're not meant to be. But then he hears her fighting. He comes down. He changes his mind. Maybe that's it. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of like backing away from this. As soon as I say. <laughs> I I think that we can give the '90s sort of a general big broad pass of misogyny because it was the nineties and it's just what we did. Oh, like, I mean, it's what it was, man. It, although it, it is a really nice cut when uh, Anola is saying, you know, yelling at him after he cuts Helen's hair and then it just to her having a crappy haircut too. I thought that that's like, <laughs> like, like that is like misogyny punchline. <laughs> yeah. And I do think to be fair, I think he would have just as easily traded away a dude if that had been an option as well. I don't think he traded her because she's a woman. I think that she was asked to be traded for because she's a woman. I don't think that the Mariner did it because he's like, ugh, broads, they're equivalent to two pieces of paper and nothing more. I think that's just his going rate for any human. I, I think it's human because he's he's very yeah. explicitly not human. And in again, the extended cut, yeah. they kind of drive that home more. They call him a muto a lot more. And he's very othered. Yeah. And so he doesn't feel uh, a ton of kinship. He even says that they tried to kill him when he was born. So th- there's definitely like this guy's a, a complete outcast. He's only looking out for number one. Um, but still, yeah. maybe, maybe, yeah, that's still that's still probably the low point of the movie. Let's say that. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of wild that that doesn't even bump me anymore because I'm so used to like, like that wouldn't be out of place in a Game of Thrones. It just didn't even occur to me as like, oh, that's a thing that I should find offensive because I'm so used to women being traded and bartered in any sort of particularly fantasy sci-fi post-apocalyptic world that maybe if it if it had been in the modern era maybe i would have had more of an issue but because like that's just the rules of fantasy and to a large degree that i've always seen it's just like no women are essentially bartering chips and that's just what it is so it didn't even particularly bump me as like oh my god i can't believe that this character is doing that i was like yeah okay sure another guy trading a woman cool well if we, we rewind a bit you know that i watched it with uh my kids mm. uh which that's true okay fair which include uh, a 10 year old and six year old girl so when that scene came on, which I had, you know, hadn't seen for a few years, I was like, uh, huh. Yeah. Uh, and they're just like, why is he doing this? I was like, uh, you know, so yeah, you're trying to, uh, like you said, explain things that you're like, I don't really want you to like. Internalize this I message. I don't want them to yeah. internalize this message. So you, you're, you're kind of half explaining and saying he's not a, he's not a very good guy is generally what I think I that's say. totally fair is he's not a good guy. You don't trade people for paper is like are some basic life lessons that you can take away from this. It's a good teaching moment to teach your kids like, hey, so if you're ever offered two pieces of paper for a sibling, don't do it. Right. I think that's a, and, you know, a good parenting and I, teachable moment. I think you have to drive into kids uh, at an early age because a lot of people haven't learned this just because they're the main character of the movie doesn't mean that they're good people Yeah, and that we should want to become like them. That is quite a teachable moment as we're seeing from the entire, the, the almost like shocking. I mean, we're recording this two days after Barbenheimer and the Oppenheimer discourse that needs, that is, I don't, I haven't seen it. I don't care. Like I'm probably not going to see it because it's just not my vibe, but the conversations happening around if Oppenheimer, the person is somebody who's like, people don't understand anymore that not everybody in a movie is a good thing and not every movie is an endorsement of the person. No. So no. good job teaching that to your children because apparently that's not a media literacy thing anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, it, we're going to get it uh, again with Napoleon. 
who, oh my you know, God. one of the most like influential humans that ever lived, they shouldn't be making a movie. <laughs> I mean, whether or not they should be making like separately, like I, do do I need to see a movie about Napoleon? No. Do, does this mean that I think that this is an endorsement of invading countries in Europe? I, I hope that it's not going to take I, it that way. I want to open and and talk about endorsement of the Napoleonic Code. <laughs> and everyone has accept it as i don't know i mean it's just they're obviously noteworthy people who have had mass differences on the course of history and people are like a movie about them they're like all right okay it's crazy it's just, it, we're, it's just not gonna i i i I think that teaching 10 and six year olds and or kids of any age that, yeah, sometimes we make movies about people who are bad and do bad things is an important part of uh, learning and understanding pop culture because now check out this bungee jump. <laughs> yeah. And then exactly. Sometimes bad people do cool shit like bungee jumping out of hot air balloons. They're just that extreme. All right, so we've covered, so we've got what is this movie really about? I think that heads us into fantasy casting. If somebody came to you tomorrow and wanted to remake, open up the Waterworld, you know, ex- expanded universe, are you doing any fantasy casting for your directorial take into this one, Liam? I definitely would not do the remake because uh, I have such uh, amazing affection for this film, but I would absolutely do the legacy sequel Top, uh, you know, Top Gun, Maverick, Ooh. Waterworld, Waterworld Mariner. Sign me up. Ooh, um, I like that. You know, and and I, you know, I think there's a natural, like we said, that uh, Costner's character he goes out to sea, comes back. Um, there's hinted stuff in the extended cut that there's going to be more of him in the future. Um, I think it would very naturally lend itself to a uh, a female lead. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a female uh, mariner, if you will, with the sure. gills and the webbed feet. Um, so, so someone who could really pull off that physicality. Um, you know, if if uh, if Jordan were here, she'd be pitching Summer Glau. Sure, we know that. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, maybe maybe Amber Mid Thunder. Th- mid, mid Mid Thunder. Uh, you know, someone like that uh, would be fantastic as a. Uh, as as sort of uh, the the next generation uh, mariner who um, has to go in a search for the disappeared old mariner. I don't know. Maybe I'm just ripping off um, uh, the Force Awakens plot here, but I definitely think it would be something in that. There's going to be like a civil war at the Dryland now, right? Like it's it's all gone. There, there's people trying to trying to get in. There's people trying to industrialize it. Like we they like uh, yeah. Uh, the, the smokers even talked about. I love that he wanted to make a golf course on oh the God. last remaining land possible. Uh, and, and, you know, and he said he's going to make a freeway on it and stuff like that. So yep. obviously you could, you could have some real gritty, uh, interesting things. Like we're, we're right here on the last legs of society and, and there's still people that want to, uh, you know, take, take this, this land for all, all it's worth. And you have the people there that are trying to live in harmony and uh, they need the mariner and maybe mariners helps in this. So that that's more of uh, something that I would uh, uh, any, any version of any type of uh, sequel or even even if the remake, you know, was just called Waterworld, but it was uh, still kind of a sequel and not exactly a, a point for point remake where we're we're just kind of making the same story because I think it, it holds up. 
Yeah, I agree. I don't think like I this is definitely one that doesn't need a remake. I think I agree about the idea of like going back in Top Gun, mavering it, mavericking it, where you go back and you play in the same sandbox. And yeah, I mean, Force Awakens, Jurassic World, they've all kind of this is kind of where our sequels and our reboots have gone to is sort of, okay, we're going to we're going to start back in the world and it's going to be very similar to but not identical to the last movie. Love the idea of centering it around Enola this time. Yes, uh, Summer Glau is a great choice, but Amber Mid Thunder is, I mean, because especially with her stunt background, how can you not? Yeah. Like yeah. that's. And, I, and, yeah. I, and I'm not even sure if if she would be Enola. Yeah. Because but I just... think, I think Enola would be like, um, you know, kind of, kind of interesting, like, like Tina Turner's character in the third Mad Max. Like she's mm-hmm. dealing with the politics of dry land and it, it's just like a really interesting, you know, B story. Yeah. And then then you have this younger um Amber Midthunder who's, you know, uh, has that loner um in- introvert vibes uh of Costner and, and and the mystery is whether or not she's his daughter or not or not. Of you course, know. sure. And all this type of fun stuff. But yeah, I think I think you could because of the way that things ended, I mean, there's there's an unlimited uh, amount of ways that you could have fun on uh, on some type of legacy sequel. I mean, I, I had a project that I've been trying to make for, I mean, an embarrassingly long amount of time, but it, it definitely had a water world influence to it. Um, and it was it was uh, it was something I wanted to do for Eco Wise um, from the raid movies and Beyond Skyline. Um, and it was like kind of kind of using this the, some of those ideas of just like a disaster happens and this kid just washes up on a beach somewhere mm-hmm. and he's so he's sort of like Tarzan but he's so he's out there in the jungle and he, he you kind of are with him in this almost like a silent film for the first 10 pages or so mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden like high-tech things come in after him and you're like wait what and you realize like because he's been out in the jungle for you know 20 years like he the society that he washed up from is now post-apocalyptic and uh, and so I, I I had a lot of uh, water world influences in that, and uh, the people that got it loved it, <laughs> but it also was right. like very it it just read very expensive, um, and so uh, you know the the legacy like we said the business affects what can and can't get made, uh, and I would I would I would uh, tell people no, no no there's a way to do this inexpensively, and um, they would just be like roll their eyes at me, but yeah there's it, no world still... that someone's gonna believe that. I'm sorry. Yeah, like, I, I know, get it. But... I know. <laughs> I know. But it's still uh, it's still something um, that, uh, yeah, would I, it would be be a dream project. So I don't know, maybe someday. Yeah. I mean, I, I I'm rooting for you to be able to either adapt that or, you know, bring in the Waterworld expanded universe that we all deserve. Yes. Yes. Because, and like yeah. the, the stunt show itself, um, you know, also lends itself to many cine- cinematic possibilities. So. Oh, for sure. I I watching i mean the stunts it was amazing watching the movie to be like oh i remember that from and just realizing suddenly that provided context fully finally after so long of so many things in those sequences like when they land a full airplane during the stunt show now it makes sense oh it's amazing it's incredible That, that that part takes my breath away every time it happens uh and and they they also that some of the actors there are just incredibly mean to the audience and blast <laughs> yeah, them are. with cannons of water. One yep. guy asked, he said, like, how much water is it? And the guy just turned and throttled him with a cannon, like to the point that <laughs> he has to just go home. Like yeah. it, it, your, your day is ruined. You're soaked to your sneakers. 
Yeah, that's that's front row in Jurassic Park splash zone. And you haven't even made that choice yet. That is amazing. Well, okay, so I have a feeling that you're going to be a little high on this with your Towering Infernos. You can do out of five, you can do portions of a Towering Inferno. How many Towering Infernos are you given uh, Waterworld? I mean, you know, I got to go five out of five. Um, uh, it's 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 a seminal movie for me. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I would I, I would probably lose my uh, ranking in the worldwide uh, A-toller enthusiasts if sure. I went any less. So uh, you're going to get a big five out of five for me. And and deserving five out of five. Like that's I I have no question in my mind that is a reasonable ranking to give it. I'm going to go a little bit lower. I'm going to do a four and a quarter. It's my favorite Kevin Costner movie that isn't a baseball movie with Kevin Costner, uh, given that I couldn't get wow. from Robin Hood. That is an incredible Well, beat. let's not get too high on it because the only other baseball, the other non-Kevin Costner baseball movies I've seen are on like, maybe there's two of them. There's this and there's Tin Cup and there's half of Robin Hood right now. I haven't gotten into JFK yet. I haven't done oh, the end. Yeah, I have, there's a bunch fantastic. of- There's a bunch of Kevin Costner deep cuts I haven't, or not deep cuts, but like classics that I haven't gotten to yet because I have a huge gap in my- just general movie knowledge of everything from 1980 to 2010. So I'm catching up. I noticed that because you'll just say, I've never yeah. watched this and I'm watching this, but um, yeah, you know, I like that you're, you're honest about it and you share. It I have not seen most of the general canon that shaped our generation. <laughs> it's really bad. Well, you know how I talked about cocaine fueled propulsive editing. Sure. Uh, JFK is probably at the top of that list. And I'm not always uh, like, I, I don't want to say not the biggest fan, but I don't always go gaga for Oliver Stone movies. Sometimes uh-huh. they, uh, they're they great and sometimes they can kind of leave me a little colder. JFK, just from the craft of editing alone, it's three hours and it flies. It rips. It's yeah. uh, it, It's got so much going on. Um, one of my favorite, I, it makes me want to watch it again because it's been, um, I don't know, probably seven years since I saw it last. But I just remember um, kind of, just soaking in on on how amazing the editing is in that film. Um, so definitely recommend watching that one. And there's a couple other really good, like like yeah. uh, Costner cuts. I would say 13 Days is a nice one from him. Okay. I always liked that one a lot. Uh, I got to meet him once because um, he was trying to do in uh, a really cool script he was going to direct mm-hmm. that was about a famous like circus elephant. And it was like its whole life story. And I, I want to say this was probably before Life of Pi. Sure. Um, but it had kind of a similar vibe to that script. Um, mm-hmm. And it was right after 300 uh, had come out. And the the visual effects company I was working for, Hydraulics, did the elephants in that. And he really liked the way the elephants looked. So he came over and met with the company. And um, so because of that, they I, I wasn't in that meeting, I don't think. But then, no, I know I wasn't. I wasn't in that meeting. But then it was like, because of that, he said he would read uh, our script. And so I had this crazy disaster movie. I think I talked about it last time I was on here, which was called Singularity, which was the formations of the universe, uh, planets smashing into each other, the universe collapsing at the end of the movie. And he read it and he, it was like, I mean, it, it's so embarrassing hindsight that I was sending the script to anyone because um, it was like my first draft, yeah. but uh, it had some momentum behind it. And um, John Davis, who produced Waterworld and was uh, attached to to this as well. Um, and so 
he gave me a, a bunch of really great notes, but he loved all the stuff that was like very much more Costner, like like men in a in a submarine. Which you know when you're doing like the Roland Emmerich stuff, that's just like a, a like a three scene vignette. But he'd be like, "Let's do the whole movie in a submarine." And you're like, "Okay, well, you like like that sort of, you know, military um, dudes instead of yes. like my sci-fi gobbledygook." Um, so, um, but it, it was very very nice. And then I um, I managed to go see him at the Swing Vote premiere. Swing Vote's a very mm-hmm. funny movie. I don't know if it holds up at all. Um, but, uh, but we, we got invited to the premiere, like shortly after that. And, uh, and I went up to him and, and just shook his hand and, and thanked him for the script notes. And he was like, oh yeah, you know, I, I, you know if there's anything you can take out of it, you know, I mean, and he just kind of like, he's like, this shit's hard. <laughs> and I, what more can you ask for from a Kevin Costner statement than this shit's hard? Like that's a perfect, it's hard. Yeah. And, and I was just like, oh man great that's a great exactly it was a great interaction which as you know i think people um overrate like you know famous people interactions because a lot of them are terrifying yeah because you just don't know what the person's really going to be like and um unless there's a reason why you are meeting them i generally don't like them either like in this case it's like he he read my script so i shake his hand and, and so it was a perfect interaction but yeah, I, I I think that's one of those things that people think, oh, all famous people interactions are great. No, most of them are, are absolutely horrifying. Uh, and 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 usually you have no reason to speak to them. So there's not nothing to really talk about. It's always great when there's something there. Meeting a celebrity is essentially the equivalent of going up to somebody and you happen to know their name and they have no idea who you are. That's what meeting every celebrity is pretty much always like. It's just like, oh, I it's like meeting somebody from your high school who you always knew about but has no idea you exist. And it's a weird dynamic. But the best I, I like that's a perfect meeting. I feel like the best actor interactions are always when an actor knows what experience the fan wants to get out of meeting them and what persona and then they just put on that person. Like Tom Hanks. I have no thoughts. He might have been having a bad day. Who knows? I was helping my mom was doing something for the Catch Me If You Can junket. And so she was like, why don't you come along? You you know, you love Spielberg and Leonardo. This will be a cool one. So I went along with her and I'm standing in the room. And this, and we hear from like down the hallway, this man just yelling and yelling and yelling at an, a poor assistant. And then he turns the corner and Tom Hanks walks into the room and has turned on his Tom Hanks persona. And, you know, he's doing, he's doing his Tom Hanks thing and just like being a good, like the kind of guy who you want tom hanks to be again does not matter what i have no idea if that's how he always yells at assistance i don't know it's not my business could have been having a bad day but the moment that he turned that corner and turned on the tom hanks personality to be like i'm gonna give the normal people their their five seconds with tom hanks before i sit down and start doing the interview it's like oh okay this is what this is what people want from this they just want the tom hanks experience and i feel like kevin costner knows like you just want the Kevin Costner experience. That's it. Amazing, amazing yeah. Hank story. Was was it Chet? How, was he was he yelling at his son? Like I think I don't remember particularly. This was again. This was back. Um, I would have still been I think in high school when Catch Me If You Came came out. So I think it was like two thousand one, two thousand two. So Chet yeah. Hanks was not was not in the cultural consciousness where I would have even clocked it. Oh, you know what? No, it wasn't Chet because Chet's younger than I am because he yeah, did go to my he did go to my high school briefly. Um oh and God. he was a few years behind me. Yeah, I actually know a guy who was friends with him. So yeah, no, I take that back. It definitely wouldn't have been Chet cuz he would have been like 14 or something at the time. But it was yeah, it was not that he maybe wouldn't have deserved to get the the angry hanks, but 
it is. It's the thing of like when when you get a celebrity, if they're in, if I feel like the worst celebrity interactions, the ones where you think you're going to get a their care their persona, and then they don't do their persona. And obviously, it's not the job of an actor to be um, doing like character greetings like you're at Disneyland, right? But right. I do also feel like it's gonna. It, the smart like the the ones who are best at being a star they all they know what experience you want and they turn it on immediately and then turn it off you know to the people they're paying yes yes yeah. I, to me it's always just like uh, the, the 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 most uncomfortable interactions when i'm with someone else who really wants to meet them and yeah i'm like no, no no please don't do this um but yeah i i, I think that that's completely fair and um and good on good on Hanks on on yeah. turning on that charm. Oh, by the way, I just watched. I, I'm going to give Hanks another shout out. I just watched Greyhound on Apple TV, which was a uh, and, and he has Chet in the in the movie, kind of come up, play a radar guy, and they have like a little scene together. And at the end, he's like, good job, son. <laughs> it was very sweet. I kind of liked it. That's very it was sweet. A, yeah, it was a nice little moment. Um, uh, and, and like not like everybody knows who. Uh, Chet is, but it it it, it definitely in, in the movie yeah. for people like we talk about pacing. It's like eighty five minutes long. It starts with one scene with Elizabeth Shue, where you're uh-huh. like, "Hey, this guy, this guy loves somebody," and then literally it's an eighty five minute uh, long naval strategy and battle sequence, and and roll credits at the end. Uh, Fantastic. So yeah, recommend I'm, that one on Apple. I'll, I'll I, I'm now apparently in my Mariner phase, so I'll check that one out too. <laughs> Who knew that this was going to be this? This is my summer of, of maritime movies. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking about Waterworld with me. Is is there anything else you want? Are there any other things that you would just be like, Ugh, I can't walk away from this without talking about this with Waterworld that we haven't covered? I feel like we've done a far reaching conversation, maybe the definitive Waterworld disaster movie conversation, but still. I, I think, it, again, you've if you've made it this far, you had to have watched the movie. But I don't know, maybe you just love this pod and uh i don't blame you for that um so if you have if there's nothing i say just just go watch the first five or ten minutes uh when you get that first action sequence and you'll understand the the awe and and the impressiveness of what uh they did back then um and that that's it you know like it's it's really it is it's just it's it's right there in camera it doesn't need doesn't need any other help it sells itself it truly does. And like I watched last night, I was like, you know what? I, I watched the other the movie for the first time a few mo- weeks ago. Let me see how much of it I can get through before I fall asleep tonight. Got the first 30, 35 minutes, got through the, the siege of the atoll. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm good. I'm done. They're all out on the on the trimaran. I don't need anything else. I can turn this off trimaran. right now. It's perfect. Like the first 30 minutes are just are like a perfect movie in and of themselves. Yeah, check it out. Put it on 30 minutes and decide you're done. It doesn't matter. You'll have gotten such a good Waterworld experience. I mean, obviously, I think you should watch the whole thing. But you it's know, a fantastic you first act. I agree with you. And even in the, the extended act. cut is not that many changes in the first act because it is just kind of it all it all kind of builds on top of each other. There's something so really good. thrilling about him being stuck in that primordial soup and trying to get out during the atoll siege but oh my yeah. god the ooze that he's just slowly being dropped into for recycling again yeah. hell of a vanity project i'm gonna get stuck in uh decomposing filth yeah for, and then be the coated in it for the rest <laughs> of the sequence and my hair is gonna be so stringy and matted <laughs> like, i mean we could talk for another 25 minutes just about his hair in this uh oh someone was saying someone uh, another speaking of bad twitter replies someone told me that they he had cgi'd his hair and that's why the budget was so heavy and i was like 
uh, that was impossible in 1995. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry to tell you this. They would um, have just given him a wig. Yeah. And they chose not to do that. That man's hairline is as underwatered in this film as it is in real life. Like, no, that's not. And no shade. By the way, love a balding guy. No worries. Not it, a criticism. It, it's part of life. It's, it's part, part of life. It's part of life. And some guys make it work. Your hair grows on your face and it comes yeah. off the top of the head. I'm not going to like uh, let, let Kevin Costner be be balding. I, I think that we should have more prematurely balding um, action stars like Bruce Willis started it. Bring it back. Statham, Statham, actually Statham Rock, Vin Diesel. <laughs> actually not really much of a shortage, but they just go bald so quickly. Yeah, they, they go just bald. They, yeah, yeah, that's the thing is I want to see like, like Bruce Willis had a receding hairline. You know, it's a great point. Yeah, it's like, Vin, grow it out. Let's see where you're at. Yeah, yeah, I want to see. I don't want to see the LeBron James hairline. I want to see the truth. (laughs) And I bet you can make it work. Like, you you are all professionally attractive people. I bet you can pull off a receding hairline. Oh, Statham totally can make it work. Statham's got a great shaped head. This is a guy whose head is so well shaped, he can wear turtlenecks. You know, I didn't even think of it, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, turtleneck is hard to pull off if your head is not a well-shaped head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah you got to have the right, uh, yeah, the right you got silhouette. To, you've got to have exacting proportions, and he pulls it off. Uh, Liam, before you go, uh, where can we find you? Are there things you want to promote? Do you happen to be a, a director of several fantastic films that I'm too scared to watch? Uh, yes, um, you can watch um, Beyond Skyline on Netflix. Skylines is available to rent uh, pretty much everywhere else. I would recommend Apple uh, for the best screening experience. And um, yeah, you know, it's kind of an interesting, uh, I, I'm, I, I guess I, I'm not in SAG or uh, WGA, so I can promote my project yeah but it's a weird time um yep. uh just uh want to express solidarity and and hoping uh that uh all, all that a uh, fair deal is reached as soon as possible and um and yeah that and I'm, I'm i'm still on twitter slash x uh i'm trying trying to to cut back i deleted the app from my phone yesterday because i was so annoyed by the the rebrand and sure. it's like you know maybe it's time to uh to just uh, to cut back a little bit, but uh, I'll, I'll be probably on on Instagram a little bit more frequently. Not that that's uh, the fantastic place either, but um, <laughs> Twitter and Instagram, Liam Odin, and um, we're trying to do you know my podcast is Action for Everyone, where I talk with uh, uh, Mike Scott and Vice Victus usually every week about action movies, uh, big budget, and DTV, and uh, and have some trailer reactions and stuff like that, and just kind of talk about whatever the hell I'm thinking about or, or, or working on at a given point. And uh, we kind of had this like action Twitter thing, but I feel like Twitter's dying. So we're, we're trying to figure out what's next. We've got a discord set up. We're trying to do topics there. I'd like to do watch alongs because uh, tweeting along with the movie is fun, but then at the same time, you know, you're looking at your screen a lot. It'd be kind of fun to just do it this style and just, just talk. Sure. Um, oh, I think so- it's really fun. We'll see what happens with that. But yeah, Noah, thank you so much for having me on. It was a pleasure to uh, speak with you again. Well, thanks so much for coming on. It was great to have you and catch up. And please keep, you know, bringing movies that uh, to my attention, because apparently this is you're like my font of excellent movies. So thank you for that. Thank you so much. Would never have thought to watch Waterworld um, on my own without a guest, if not for the fact that I was like, well, Liam's talking about it so much. And 
then I watched it. I was like, well, clearly this has to be covered. And it's it's clearly, I think, fits in the disaster movie uh, definition. So I'm, totally. I'm glad that it made it, yeah. Yeah, listen, if Mother can qualify as a disaster movie, I we've made the umbrella very big at this point. Well, once you do the diving bell scene and you go down and you see the flooded yeah. cities, that's a disaster movie imagery, right? That's absolutely that's as disaster I, as it gets. The running the the rule that I had made when we first started when we were trying to define like what is a disaster movie was I said anything you can do to a town in Sim City and you can totally flood. I'm sure like you could have flooded a town in Sim City and this is just a worldwide flood. So I'm in. Oh my goodness, I didn't know that that was the, the operational the, definition. Well, that's the, the I'm operational gonna play, definition. I'm going to play with that and come back with you some some more suggestions because that's yeah. fantastic. That, that was kind of like when I, we were just trying to, I was like, well, you know what? How about anything that you can do with, you can do to a town in SimCity? Because you can do pretty much all of the, th- like, you got giant monsters, you've got nuclear attacks, you've got pandemics, and then there's all the, like, you could always inflict a tornado. Because if you were the kind of child I was, that's the only thing I did while playing SimCity, was inflict various disasters on the city to see what would happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what that's what playing God's all about. That's why you're a writer. Exactly. Yes. Thank you for understanding. I was just exploring. It's not that I was a sociopath. It's that I was a young writer. <laughs> I, I, I have these conversations with friends and it's like, when do you kill your characters? And and uh, I think when I was younger, I would love killing characters. And now I'm older, I'm very soft. And I'm like, oh, I don't want it. <laughs> and also like if it's in a, a running series, like the Skyline things, like they're, they're actors that I, I love and I'm right. friends with. And I'm, I'm like, oh, so it, 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 it's interesting. I think the older we get, the harder it is to uh, to be so vicious to the imagined. Yeah, you get like an emotional attachment. Well, OK, mm-hmm. so what, what I'm hearing is that we're opening up a multiverse in Sky in Skyline so that you can bring back actors you've killed. Oh, man, I didn't even think of that. No, I was more more. Maybe maybe that's in the future so I can kill <laughs> more of them and then still bring it back. But no. Yeah, that multiverse thing, I think, is uh, tapped out. <laughs> Just a little played out with uh, seven movies this year that have to do with multiverses. Anyway, thank you again. And uh, I'll find you on Twitter soon. We'll yell some more. All right. Thank you, Amanda. Thanks so much, Liam. And next week, I'm going to be back with Colleen Haggerty. And we're going to be talking about the excellent and much maligned Deep Impact. And if you haven't already, check out disastergirls.myshopify.com. We've got the No Thoughts Just Chomp shirts where all of the profits are going to uh, Minorities in Shark Sciences, which is Jada's organization from the Meg 2 episode in the Meg. Um, And then, of course, I'm Amanda Smith Says on Twitter, although I'm not active on there anymore. I am Amanda Smith on Blue Sky. And then we're Disaster underscore pod on Twitter, Disaster Girls on Blue Sky, uh, DisasterGirlsPod at gmail.com. If you haven't already, please take a few seconds to rate and review. It does make a huge difference. And also, it just makes me really happy. So, you know, if you want to, like, make my day personally, write a five-star rating and review. Um, And hopefully I'll see you all back next week for Deep Impact. Bye.